The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. It's okay to admit the Red Sox didn't have much of a choice but to trade Mookie Betts. To the point. There's no better option for the Patriots than Camp. They have to re-sign him moving forward. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? This is the Brady Farkas Show, the all-new Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It feels good to say that. Although day one, I might have to change the intro already because now I'm not so sure the Patriots should re-sign Cam Newton. Um, I am pumped to be here. I am pumped that you are here. It's an honor for me to be here, and uh, I am... Uh, I'm I'm excited to do this nightly, to be honest with you. I'm humbled. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm excited about the amount of people that have reached out and told me that they are excited for this show to exist. The show is brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia is family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. And I will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your listenership. A lot of you out there have heard me on another station in this market and you have come over here at this time and I appreciate those of you that have done that. A lot of you are hearing me for the first time the last couple of weeks that I've been doing the afternoon news service and I appreciate you now giving me a chance to talk with you from 5.30 to 7. So we're going to do this from 5.30 to 7 every single weeknight. The goal is to be fun, fast-paced, informative, make it a quick-moving show, do it smartly, bring on great guests, and uh, I hope you give me the opportunity to to do that for you and do that with you every single night. A couple of housekeeping things here on day one. I want the show to be interactive. You can interact with me always on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. WDEV Radio Brady. You want to tell me my take is great. You want to tell me my take is garbage. I welcome all of it. So get in touch with me there. You can email the show. You can reach out to me there. B Farkas, F A R K A S, B Farkas at radiovermont.com. You can follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page. You'll see it, Brady Farkas Sports Media Personality. You want to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, or you can just find it on WDEVradio.com. We are there, and uh, you'll get the full show every single day. A lot of people have believed in me to get to this point. I'm going to work hard to reward those people and reward the listeners who are giving me the opportunity. Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots, tight end, Super Bowl champion, is going to join us in about 15 minutes, and we will start right there. Patriots blown out by the San Francisco 49ers yesterday. Final score, 33-6. to That is as disheartening a loss in the regular season for the Patriots that I can ever remember. And I thought last week against Denver was the most disheartening loss in the regular season I can ever remember. The Patriots, it's the worst home loss ever in the Bill Belichick era. Worst home loss since 1998. They ran 16 plays in the first half. Think about that. The New England Patriots ran 16 plays in the first half. Their fewest in any half under Bill Belichick. Their fewest since 1997. Hey, Pete Carroll was the coach there, and it was his first year. Pete Carroll's been in Seattle for like 100 years. He was at one point in New England. They haven't been that bad, that ill-equipped offensively, since the first year of his tenure back in 1997. Patriots are 2-4. and They've lost back-to-back home games for the first time since 2008. 
it's one thing to lose. It's another to be, it's one thing to lose. It's one thing to be bad even. It's another to just give up completely. And that is what we saw from the Patriots yesterday. It felt like they gave up. There's three kinds of people in this world, okay? There's people who get hit and do nothing. There's people who get hit and fight back. And there's people who hit first. Last night, the 49ers hit first. The Patriots got hit and they laid down. They were done. The Patriots, they were done with about six minutes left in the first quarter. Somebody named Jeff Wilson, who's the 49ers' third string running back, he just absolutely pummeled New England all game long, and then he got hurt, and then the other 49ers running backs came in and did the exact same thing. First and 10, Jeff Wilson Jr. back in, takes the wide run right, breaks a tackle, 10-5, touchdown! San Francisco! And that feels great, baby! When you allow, as the Patriots did, 197 rushing yards, and a team can carry the ball 40 times against you, You have been manhandled, and you have given up, and you have quit. And for a team that had everything to prove after a bad home loss against Denver, it was inexcusable yesterday. It was inexcusable in execution, but it was more inexcusable in effort. Again, the Cincinnati Bengals lost yesterday. The Cincinnati Bengals are bad. You know what? They were in the game until 11 seconds left in the game, and Joe Burrow had a Hail Mary chance to try to win it. They put up 34 points. They never gave up. And I watched every minute of that Bengals game practically. They were, even the hapless Jets were out there trying yesterday. The Patriots didn't look like they were trying. This 49ers team was beaten by 20 points at home by the, at that point, awful Dolphins a couple weeks ago. They were, get this, the Patriots put that clunker on film against a 49ers team that was missing their top corner in Richard Sherman. Both starting safeties have four. 15 players on injured reserve. Jeff Wilson's their third running back, and he ran for 112 yards. Inexcusable. Inexcusable what the Patriots put on tape yesterday. And now you're 2-4, and four, you're in third place in the division, and you've got questions abound like we haven't seen in six, seven years. This team might miss the playoffs. They shouldn't, but they might. I came into this year expecting the Patriots to be bad. Initially, I thought they were going to be bad. Then I was fooled by what we saw against Miami and Seattle and said, you know what? They're a whole heck of a lot better than we thought. I initially thought they were going to be bad. What I wasn't expecting was a complete lack of toughness and a complete lack of heart. And that was embarrassing yesterday. If you were a Patriots player, as Devin McCourty said after the game, or if you were a Patriots fan or a Patriots supporter. Every Monday, After a Patriot game, we're going to do this, what we call Unpacking the Patriots. We'll take through some of my biggest takeaways. So here we go. Unpacking the Patriots. Number one. Number one, Cam Newton is still going to start for the Patriots, and that is the right move. A lot of people out there disagree. If you were on social media between 4.30 and 8.30 last night, you would think Cam Newton should be banned from the league for how poor he played. And he played very poorly. Okay. 98 yards and three picks and benched in the third quarter. He played awful. He is still the right choice for this team moving forward. Bill Belichick was asked about it after the game, and in his own Kurt Bill Belichick way, he affirmed that. Yeah, absolutely. 
just wanted to give Stitt a little experience here. You are evaluating Cam Newton moving forward. Every way you think about this discussion, Cam Newton should be the guy who plays quarterback for the New England Patriots next week when they play Buffalo. If you're going to sign Cam Newton, and three weeks ago we all wanted Cam Newton to be the answer long term. I was ready to give him three years and $90 million. And the Patriots were here. They might put him on the franchise tag. If you're going to give Cam a long-term deal, two, three-year, four-year deal, you're talking $15, $20 million a year at minimum. You've got to see him. You've got to see what he looks like for at least a half season. The guy had no training camp, had no OTAs. Oh, I'm sorry, he had no preseason, didn't have a full training camp, no OTAs. He got here in late July. I mean, he got here in late This is like the rookies who play, they've been here since April. Cam Newton got here in late July. You got to give him a chance. If you're going to give him a long term deal, potentially, you need to see him. You cannot evaluate him based on four games, five games, and the guy had coronavirus just a couple of weeks ago. You got to give him a chance to work through this. And then if he's not the answer, then fine, but he's the one you need to evaluate. If you're going to put him on the franchise tag, you're talking about $35 million. If you don't want to give Cam a three, four-year deal, you're going to give him a one-year deal, and you're going to give him $35 million. You're not giving that out based on four games, based on five games, and the guy had COVID just to, you know, had to miss the game three weeks ago, and every he's just now getting caught up. You can't do that. Cam deserves the evaluation. And for all the talk I heard about Jarrett Stidham yesterday, it's absurd to me. Jarrett Stidham, three weeks ago, when Cam Newton had coronavirus and couldn't play against Kansas City, Jarrett Stidham couldn't beat out Brian Hoyer for the starting job that night. He couldn't beat out Brian Hoyer. Early in the year, first couple of weeks, Jarrett Stidham couldn't beat out Brian Hoyer to even be active on game day. So don't tell me that you want to evaluate Jarrett Stidham. They're, they're, they've shown you. We've evaluated him. He can't be, he's not better than Cam Newton. The fact that Bill Belichick just said after a game in which they got pummeled and punched in the mouth 40 times just by rushing the ball for San Francisco, the fact that he was so decisive in telling you Cam is our best option, that tells you what they think of Stidham. I don't need to see it then. Three months ago, I wanted to see Stidham play. Now I don't. They've told me what they've thought of Stidham. Now at every turn, he can't get active and beat out Hoyer there at the beginning of the year. He can't beat out Hoyer to be the starting quarterback when Cam doesn't play. They've seen him in the offseason. They had him in their program last year. He's been here for a year. Now. Cam's been here for a cup of coffee. Stidham's had breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the Patriots' place, and he still can't get on the field. They have shown you what they think of him. Cam Newton is still the guy. Moving on, unpacking the Patriots continues. Number two. The amount of people who are just, quote, done with Cam and essentially happy to see him struggling or just outright failing yesterday is astounding to me. I understand that this is professional sports, but have a heart on some of this stuff here, people. Have some sentimentality to you about this. Mike Gundy, the old the Oklahoma State football coach, in his famous, I'm a man, I'm 40, and that rant, he said, you don't attack a guy who does everything right. And you don't dance on the grave of someone who's been a good soldier and done everything right. And that is what Cam Newton has done and what Cam Newton continues to do. And he deserves your respect. If you don't want him to play, that's one thing from a pure football standpoint. But the amount of people 
the amount of, quote, Patriots fans who I saw taking jubilation in Cam Newton struggling yesterday was really, really embarrassing to me. Tom Brady gets all the credit for leaving his comfort zone, for trying something new, for going to a new place, for putting his legacy on the line. Cam Newton should be praised also because he did the exact same thing. He left. He plays in Carolina for a decade. He leaves a place where he essentially ran the franchise. There's going to be a Cam Newton statue in Charlotte at the Panthers Stadium. That will happen. Number one pick in the draft, $100 million contract, multiple endorsements, one of the faces of the league. There will be a statue there. Right next to the big growling Panther will be a Cam Newton statue someday. He leaves all of that. And he goes to the most rigid culture in sports. He chooses to go to the most rigid culture in sports and play with a team who we didn't think they had great weapons last year. He says, no, I'm going to go there. We didn't think he could mesh with Bill Belichick. And now they're so getting along so well that Belichick apparently has this undying loyalty to Cam. So he changes in quote, you know, changes his personality to the point where he could fit and mesh with Belichick. He leaves the only place he's ever known. They forced him out. I understand that. But he goes to a place where you think it's the complete antithesis of him. He makes it works. Cam Newton, all I hear is he's arrogant. He's an arrogant, selfish player. And here he is, takes a $1 million, humbling $1 million incentive-laden deal, does it with no training camp, with minimal training camp, no preseason, trying to overcome shoulder and foot injuries. And, oh, by the way, all he does is take the blame on himself. Whether it's true or not, Cam Newton puts the blame on himself. He did it yesterday. He did it today. Well, it's just been pressing. I don't think it's anything with mechanics. It's, it's, you know, seeing the situation at hand. And, you know, I even called, I caught myself just pressing too much. He tells you honestly and openly and, and shows a vulnerability there that should be commended. He was on ESPN Radio today. Listen to what he said today. They asked him on ESPN Radio, Cam, are you scared of something? Here was his answer. Scared? Absolutely not. Thinking, now that's something that I could, you know, probably finger point. Uh, but yet, there's no need to, to feel any type of way besides accepting all challenges. And I have to get better. I, I, I and, and, and I'm adamant about it. He tells you that he has to get better. Last week when they asked him if he had enough enough weapons around him, he said the answers are in this locker room. He won't point fingers. He won't call out his teammates. He won't demand things from the organization. He says it's all on him. And that kind of humility is something you didn't think he had. He has leadership in spades. He takes it all on him for the team. And he shows a, a vulnerability there that should make him relatable to all of us. He tells you. I'm overthinking things. I am pressing. I want to be great. I don't have the answer right now. So for all of the um, limitations of the human mind that you and I have, that, quote, regular people have, where we have some insecurities, Cam Newton is showing you that he has insecurities also. And that vulnerability should make him more likable and more relatable and easier to root for. It's one thing if you don't want him for five years. I'll listen to that debate. What I won't listen to is people who are happy to see this guy fail because, as Mike Gundy told you more than a decade ago at Oklahoma State, you don't attack a guy for doing everything right. And while he hasn't played everything 100% right on the field, he has handled 
everything right from the moment he got to Foxborough, and he's done it all with some people laughing in his face, and that deserves to be commended, and Cam deserves to be the starter still going forward. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots tight end, Super Bowl champion. He's the first guest in the history of the Brady Farkas Show. He's been a huge supporter of Cam, as I have been. Has his opinion changed? That's next. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Day one, now guest one, former Patriots tight end, current WEEI radio host Jermaine Wiggins is with us now. Jermaine, I'm a fan of Cam Newton. I know you're a fan of Cam Newton, but after what we saw yesterday, are you done with Cam Newton? No, I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I mean, I think he needs to play better. Uh, Obviously, that's the biggest thing. I think he's got to you know, he's got to stop making smarter decisions with the football. But I also believe that the biggest problem that he has um, is just the lack of talent he has around him. So when you don't have those weapons, that those skilled players that can just go up there and make plays, and you can just throw the ball up, and those you know, those 50-50 balls, you hear people talking about it all the time. When you don't have those guys, you kind of press the issue a little bit, and I think that's what Cam's doing. He's got to kind of just, you know, say, hey, listen, Here's what I need to do. I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to react to what the defense gives me. And if nothing's there, let me just tuck it, run it, and, and you know, live to fight another day. I know that there's no moral victories in pro sports, and we don't have to be sentimental about this stuff. But all the questions about Cam Newton's maturity and leadership, you have to be impressed with what you're hearing, at least out of him from today and yesterday, taking responsibility for this. Yeah, definitely. I, I do appreciate the fact that he's a guy that will take complete accountability for his performance, his play, and put it on himself, and how he has to do better. He has to make throws. I mean, you know, that's the one thing you can respect that from him, at, you know, as a quarterback back as a leader, um, you know, knowing that, you know, his teammates see that and they, and they say, you know what, this guy's, you know, putting it on himself, you know, so I need to do the same when my opportunities present themselves. So I think that's that's the one thing you could take away from it. But at the end of the day, you know, that's all great. and That's all fine. But it is all about production. So you have to still be able to go out there and produce and go out there and make those plays and go out there and show that, okay, you're not just saying it, you're learning from your mistakes, and I think that's the biggest thing for him. If you were on social media at any point in the second half yesterday, you were saying that Jared, you were seeing that Jared Stidham needed to play because they needed to, quote, evaluate him. Is it more important to evaluate Stidham or to evaluate Cam as you still think about what his long-term future is? I think you're all constantly evaluating Cam every single day with practices. You know, he's playing the majority of games where I think Stidham is, is limited, right? So he doesn't probably get many reps during the week. And, you know, especially in this new whole COVID world, I don't know what the practice schedule is like, but he's probably getting even fewer uh, physical reps. So I think, you know, for him, they have to evaluate him and to see, okay, is he a guy that we want to even keep around moving forward? And, and so I think that's why you look at, you know, when you get to a point with Cam where he's not playing well, you kind of know what it is, where are some of the mistakes that he's making. See if we can clean those up. But, hey, guess what? We're going to play 
Jarrett for the last quarter to see if, you know, see what type of growth he might have as a player. And, you know, this is uh, the few times that we get to evaluate him as a player and we'll give him these opportunities, see what he can do with him. Former Patriots tight end, Super Bowl champion Jermaine Wingus with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV Radio, WDEV AM and FM. What is Bill Belichick saying today to his team? He's definitely telling them that, you know, they got to coach better. They got to play better all three phases offensively. They got to run the football better. They got to pass protect. I mean, he's going, he's going through every, you know, you know, piece of that game. And he's probably showing them all 25, 30 plays where, you know, they made simple mistakes, whether that be mental errors, whether that be physical errors, whether that be technique stuff, he's going through all that and he's showing them, okay, here's why we're losing football games. These are the things that we need to clean up, and 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 you know. So when they're able, when they do go out to practice, they know the things that they have to focus on and work on that are going to put them in a position to win football games. You're certainly hearing what I'm hearing, where people are saying, "Well, you see, now it was always Brady who did everything, and Brady's more important than Belichick." I don't think that Brady would have been as successful with this team either, given what you said—the lack of talent. What I do think is noticeable is that we always used to default to say the Patriots won't beat themselves. And they are beating themselves these last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, that's the difference. And, and, you know, that's the difference. And that's where I think Cam has to get better. Cam, where Brady Brady wouldn't put his, the team in a situation where he's making bad decisions, which would then lead to turnovers, which would then lead to them potentially losing football games for the majority of them. I mean, we've seen Brady throw interceptions. Every quarterback's going to do that. But we didn't see him do that consistently. And so I think that's the thing that Cam and this team is going to have to do. And it's very difficult when you don't have a guy of Brady's caliber and there's not many guys out there like that that know that, okay, let me not put my team and our offense in a bad situation. That's why I said the biggest thing for Cam moving forward is, hey, if there's something, it's not there. Don't force it. If you go through your progression and you, there's a clock going off in your mind, don't try to turn something into nothing that could lead to a potential negative play, which would then lead to you know a turnover, uh, obviously, which would result in potentially you, you, you losing a football game. So they have to do a better job. And it's difficult to do that when you don't have a guy that has seen as much football as Brady. Um, and you got Cam, who's still learning this offense. That's one thing that is going to be a challenge for him you know every single week for the rest of the year for as bad as it's been the last two weeks and three losses there's still a lot in front of this team a bunch of division games coming up they got the bills this upcoming sunday but do you think there's a chance they could still be sellers at the trade deadline or does it all hinge on what happens sunday against buffalo i think you have to if you're belichick you have to make that decision i think before you even play Buffalo, you have to say, what are we? Are we selling or are we, are we buying? Because that has to be the mindset because the trade deadline is next week. So you don't want to put yourself in the position and go, oh, you know what? We're going to buy. And then by the time you buy, it's too late. So I, I think you have to know and you have to be working the phone. So if you do buy, you're buying before this Buffalo game where you know, okay, we got some reinforcements coming. Uh, they might not be able to play, but now I think that might motivate the team to see, okay, we are buyers. Uh, or you got to say the team knows, okay, we're sellers and now you're starting to play younger younger guys and get guys reps to see, okay, what are they going to be 
moving forward for next year. Jermaine, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm going to end the show with this today. I am not an Antonio Brown guy. Um, I do think a little less of Tom Brady today than I did a week ago that he wanted Antonio Brown in Tampa, given all we know about A.B. Do you think less of Tom Brady for wanting Antonio Brown? No, because for me, whatever player is going to help me win football games, those are the guys that, hey, listen, I'll line up with as long as I know what you are on the football field. I mean, guys got their own issues off the field. I, I you know, I don't need guys to be, you know, these these honor students or the, you know, these people that that, you know, have these lives where they do no wrong because I know that's, you know, that's not the norm. Everybody has some type of skeletons in their closet. It's all about can I count on you? Can I depend on you on the field? And if you can come in and you can make our team better. I'm all for it. If you can't, then guess what? The coach moves on from you, and we and the train keeps a rolling. Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots tight end, Super Bowl champion, big part of the snow game against the Raiders, you know, nearly 20 years ago, and a radio host of WEEI, the first guest on the Brady Farkas Show. Jermaine, thanks so much, man. We'll do it again down the line. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Take care. All right, there he goes. Jermaine Wiggins with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, Jermaine Wiggins is a really insightful radio host at WEEI. Now he's a big part of the morning show there with Greg Hill and company. So he, like me, not giving up on Cam and says, look, I can acknowledge that if they're getting blown out again or something like that, then fine, sit him, can play the last quarter, get him some game action. And I'm okay with that too. But if you're talking about – and everything the Patriots want to do is still in front of them. They're going to get two – they get two games with the awful Jets, right? we got to think those are two wins. So that's going to help in the division. Then they, they can take one of two from Buffalo and then go beat Tua in Miami. I mean, Bill Belichick never loses to rookie quarterbacks. So they could very easily end up 5-1 and one in the division, and the quickest path to the playoffs is through your own division. So if the Patriots can go 5-1 and one in the division, you'd certainly think they're right there in the thick of things at the end of the year to win the division and get the automatic berth to the playoffs through the AFC East. If you want that, if that's what's going to happen, Cam Newton is the guy to do that for you. If, if the thing goes way off the rails and the Patriots are sitting at 3-11, and 11, well, then I'll throw my hands up and say, okay, now we can give Sidham a look. But at 2-4, and four, with a divisional game on tap right now against Buffalo, and a game you must have, I'm going with the nearly decade-long vet who's the former MVP of the league who's played in a Super Bowl and not the guy who's played in mop-up time and garbage time when – that's the only time he's ever gotten. I'm just not I'm just not conceding on Cam Newton this earlier in this early in the year. I'm not doing it. I mean, he's had too much of a track record, too much history of success, and has shown you too much in the early goings this year to just give up on things. Everything the Patriots want is in front of them, and their best chance to get there is through Cam Newton. What we'll do, we'll take a break. We'll get an update from CBS News, our top-of-the-hour update there. We'll come back. I'll give you my biggest takeaway from my talk with Jermaine Wiggins. Going to be a little comparison time between Cam and between Tom Brady. That's all next on the Brady Farkas Show with WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. It is the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We do this every single night. We go up until 7 o'clock, 5.30 until 7. If you ever miss any of the show, you can find the full podcast online at WDEVradio.com or subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. So here's how the show is going to work formatically. 
every single day at 545 is going to be our big interview. So today it was with Jermaine Wiggins, former Patriots tight end. Every day at 6.05 right here, I'm going to start this segment by giving you my biggest takeaway from aforementioned big interview. So I'm going to go there and I want to continue with the conversation that Jermaine and I were having about comparing Tom Brady and Cam Newton. I saw a lot yesterday on social media that said that Tom Brady would, you know, what Tom Brady's doing in Tampa, throwing touchdowns galore. He's got 18 touchdowns and the Bucs are five and two. What he's doing in Tampa now would be happening in New England and the Patriots have egg on their face that they let Brady go away and they're forfeiting a chance to have a good team. As evidence as much by Rex Ryan, who was on ESPN this morning and said that. How good is Tom Brady? Well, why don't we take a look at the, the uh, New England Patriots? Mm. You want to see how good Tom Brady is? <laughs> I told you guys for the last three years I've been talking about how good Tom Brady still is and how horrible New England is. I think we see. First off, the Patriots should have kept Brady, but that's totally that's six months ago now. That's let's totally leave that aside. I would have kept Brady also. Where Rex Ryan is wrong is to infer or assume that the Patriots would be better. This so far and away better with Tom Brady. Tom Brady has it all right now in Tampa. Listen, look at what Tom Brady has. He plays in a better weather division. Okay, so he doesn't play his home games where it's thirty and snowing. I mean, yesterday temperatures forty degrees and windy. Tom Brady not playing in that anymore. Better throwing conditions. Like, like unless there's a monsoon in Tampa, he's playing in better throwing conditions. In the division, he plays a domed game in New Orleans. I know they lost it, but he's for the next year he's going to play domed games in New Orleans, domed games in Atlanta, and he's going to play good throwing conditions in Carolina. So more easily winnable division games because weather is not going to be a factor in all likelihood. He's had almost all of his hard out-of-division games at home. Already played uh, Green Bay at home. Kansas City is going to be at home. The Rams are going to be at home. So the schedule works in Brady's favor. He's got an offensive head coach, and he's got far better weapons than Cam Newton has and far better weapons than he would have had if he had stayed here in New England. It is so bad. Listen to this. It is so bad for the Patriots right now offensively that when targeting wide receivers, they have thrown one touchdown and eight interceptions. When targeting wide receivers, the Patriots have one touchdown and eight interceptions. That ain't all Cam. That's bad players. Okay, Aaron sends me a tweet uh, on, on Twitter to WDEV Radio Brady. He says the only thing he took away from yesterday's game that was positive was the play of Jacoby Myers. We're talking about undrafted players providing the big bright spot. Okay, The Buccaneers have first-round pick Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, good running back, Shady McCoy might be a Hall of Famer, then Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and a new slot guy, Scotty Miller, and oh, by the way, they add Antonio Brown. Like Tom Brady's got far more in Tampa and an offensive-minded head coach than he would have in New England. So let's just stop with the idea that Brady would bring that kind of productivity from Tampa that he's having in Tampa and have it in Foxborough this year. Let's 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 just set aside that because that's just patently false given what the Patriots have. What is true is we always used to default as fans and as media. We would default and say the Patriots will not beat themselves. And because they won't beat themselves, they'll always have a chance to win. That is what we cannot say anymore. I do believe that the huge difference between Tom Brady and any other Patriots quarterback, Cam Newton, Jared Sinema, Brian Hoyer, is that Brady 
would not put them, not put the team in a position to lose games based on self-inflicted wounds. The Patriots didn't used to commit penalties. They didn't used to allow third down in 12. They didn't used to turn the ball over in adverse situations. And they are doing those things, especially the turnovers now. Things they've never done, things that Brady wouldn't. I can't promise you that they would win games. They still might, instead of turning it over via the interception, they still might have to just punt because of what they have around them. But they would not have turned it over, and they could have played better field position games if Tom Brady was still here. We took it for granted that the Patriots were always protective of the football. That's not the Patriots. That's Brady. That's Brady being deliberate. That's Brady being careful at times. That's Brady knowing every nook and cranny of the offense and knowing when to bail on a play. And that is what this group of quarterbacks don't have right now. Patriot fans are seeing what it's like for about 27 of the other 31 teams. This is how the other half lives. The other half turns it over, gives up a third and 17 when you can't afford to, on fourth and four, and the team's punting, they jump off sides. That is happening to the Patriots now. Things, I mean, the Patriots are minus two in the turnover battle this year. Minus two. Bottom 10 of the league. Every other team in the bottom 10, losing record, except for one. Vegas, 500. If you turn the football over more than you take it away from the other team, you lose. And the Patriots are finding that out Right now, Jermaine Wiggins, who was just on with us, staff did a great job cutting this up. Here was Wiggins when he talked about Brady versus Cam. Brady wouldn't put his, the team in a situation where he's making bad decisions, which would then lead to turnovers, which would then lead to them potentially losing football games. For the majority of them, I mean, we've seen Brady throw interceptions. Every quarterback's going to do that. But we didn't see him do that consistently. He didn't do it consistently. He knew when to bail on a play. He knew when to get out of a play. He had a comfort and a command of the offense and of the playbook that he could audible, that he could send a guy in motion, that he could call a timeout. Things that Cam, Stidham, Hoyer, they don't have right now. They don't have that command that Brady did. I don't think with the lack of talent that this Patriots team has, I don't think they'd be a whole hell of a lot better if Tom Brady was was the quarterback. What I do know is that they would be a hell of a lot better at taking care of the football. The self-inflicted wounds would not happen with Tom Brady at the rate or the, the oftenness, the propensity that they're happening right now with this group of Patriots quarterbacks. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So again, every day, big interview, 545, big takeaway from the interview 605. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk with Bob Sosi. He's the radio play-by-play guy for the Patriots. We are going to be the home of the Patriots starting November 9th, and hopefully they're playing a whole hell of a lot better by November 9th because I'd like that to be a big party for everybody. So uh, Bob Sosi is going to join me every single Tuesday at 5 o'clock, or at, I'm sorry, at 5.45. So um, now what we'll do is, so this is interesting, the one day or the one time where I had to do this over the weekend. Every Friday, I'm going to give you my Friday locks. And those locks can range on anything, right? Could be a gambling pick, could be a fantasy guy, could be just a game score, could just be a prediction. But it's something that we'll know the answer to by Monday. 
So Friday, I give you the locks. Monday, we go over them. I put them out on social media yesterday in anticipation for the show. So now we will look at the locks. Every Friday, Brady gives you his locks for the weekend. Is he moving to the high rent district or is he headed to the outhouse? We look at the locks now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Number one. All right, so my first lock was that Cam Newton was going to throw for less than 220 yards, and I hit that one very, very easily. I had a very good week this week on my predictions. Cam threw for only 98 yards. I said he was going to throw for less than 220. I didn't think 220 was really all that big of a number or all that big of an ask. Against a team in San Francisco that was missing both of its starting safeties and its best defensive back, Richard Sherman, 220 yards shouldn't have been that tough, especially when you were getting your clock cleaned at the end of the game. You should have been throwing the entire second half trying to get back into it. You should have been just been able to accumulate garbage time yards. 18 quarterbacks, 18 quarterbacks this week threw for more than 220 yards, more than half the league. 220 yards is not a big number. I mean, Joe Burrow threw for 400. Kyler Murray threw for like 350. Russell Wilson threw for 300. 18 guys threw for more than 220 yards, and Ryan Tannehill threw for 220 exactly. Okay? Of all the quarterbacks that didn't throw for 220 yards, only two actually won games. Kyle Allen in Washington, Patrick Mahomes, who played the snowstorm. Give him a little bit of credit. He's pretty good. Give him, give him some credit that he didn't reach 220 and was able to still win. You have to throw the football to win games, and the Patriots can't really do It's not that they can't even complete passes. They get no cheapies. They get no yardage after the catch. There is no, there is none of this like, okay, we threw a six-yard slant, and the guy took it 40 yards, and I accumulated that way. There's no explosion to the offense. Former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie, he told me as much last week. And offensively, they get first downs by running the zone read stuff and Cam taking off running in the short passing game, and it looks kind of easy at times, but there's no explosive plays. No explosive plays. Patriots get no cheapies, and it's really hard. The Patriots yesterday were constantly run, run, or run in completion, boom, third and six, boom, third and four. The things that they do well, run the football, zone read, they don't work as well when it's third and five. They have to be able to get some kind of verticality to the offense because they just don't have it right now. So my second lock, number two, was the Bengals were going to cover the three-and-a-half-point spread against the Browns, and they did because the Browns missed the extra point at the end of the game. It was 37-34 Cleveland. Browns were going to go up 38-34. I was going to lose that one. Cody Parkey misses it. Betters all over the country either rejoiced or cried, depending on which side they were on. The Bengals could have easily won this game. They were so impressive to me. If they could have stopped anybody, they would have won this game. Joe Burrow looks outstanding. The number one pick in the draft this year looks outstanding. And that is the one thing, as much as I'm defending Cam Newton, that is the one thing that I can't defend. I don't have an answer for this. Joe Burrow is playing with the team that literally had the number one pick in the draft last year. So the worst team in football. And he is making it work. They're not winning, but he looks great. The offense is not the problem. 
and the offense is the problem in New England. So for all I want, and again, I, I believe in Cam, and I've got a lot of outs for him on things. The one out I don't have, the one thing I can't account for is that Joe Burrow looks great, and Justin Herbert looks great, and Kyler Murray looks great, and these young quarterbacks look great. These guys with who come in as number one picks and play for these awful teams with first-year head coaches who have never been head coaches, and boom, they're making it work pretty quickly. So why can't the Pat? Why can't the Pats? That's the one thing I can't account for. It's amazing how well these young quarterbacks are doing. The learning curve gets earlier and earlier now. It used to be, you know, Carson Palmer, Aaron Rodgers. You're gonna sit two, three years. You're gonna learn. You're gonna never play. You're gonna only be in the preseason. You're gonna have the headset. You're gonna look at the clipboard with all the plays that flip back and forth. You're gonna talk with the offensive coordinator. It used to be that. Now. You step in, day one, awful team, throw for 400 yards, Joe Burrow. That's impressive, and it's the one thing that has me frustrated about Cam because it's the one thing that I can't account for in why things are not working right now. By the way, on that Bengals game, <laughs> so the Bengals scored at 33 points, right? They scored 34, and they didn't have a single punt. So teams in the Super Bowl era, so it's going back to like the 60s, if you scored at least 33 points and didn't punt, you were 55-0 and 0 in NFL history, and the Bengals found a way to lose. That is what Joe Burrow is up against. His team also blew a 21-point lead last week. That is what Joe Burrow is up against. He looks pretty darn good. Moving on, last lock. Number three. Number three was I said that Clayton Kershaw was going to pitch the Dodgers to a win, and he did. I'm so happy for him. He has vindicated himself. He gets a chance to stick it to the to the haters. He's 2-0 in the World Series. He's been called a choke artist. He's been called not the same pitcher. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but, 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 not now. Get off his back. 13-12 in, 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 in his playoff career, most strikeouts in playoff history, and he puts himself constantly in a position to taint his legacy. He pitches on short rest. He wants the ball out of the bullpen. He just pitched on Sunday. He'll want the ball on, you know, if we get to game seven on Wednesday, he'll want it. Short rest. In all these positions where he could fail, you know, or he could hide and just sit back, he says, no, I want the ball. I don't care what it does to my overall stat line. That's a guy that I like. That's a guy that I battle for. That's a guy I will defend against you trolls out there who want to go against Clayton Kershaw. I don't get it, but now you literally can't do it because he has shown you he can win the big one. He has won the big one twice in this series. I knew that he would. He did. 13-12 and 12 playoff record. Dodgers now one win from the World Series. If the Dodgers do not win the World Series, it will not be the fault of Clayton Kershaw. All right, here we are. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. When we come back, I just played a clip from Doug Flutie. You're going to be hearing a whole lot more from Doug Flutie. We'll tell you what's coming up next. The Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM, FM, WDEVradio.com, as the intro said. So, yeah, I do a podcast with Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie, the Heisman Trophy winner, former Patriots quarterback two times. It's called Believe in Patriots, B-L-E-A-V. You can subscribe it, find it on the internet, Google it, whatever. So Doug and I talk twice a week, and you're going to hear from Doug Flutie every single day on this show and what we call the daily dose of Doug. And it's, it's designed to make us smarter, bring a, a, um, an intelligence about, about football, about the quarterback position and give us some talking points, things that we can go off of. So before I get to Doug's actual clip, I want to set it up here by saying this, the Patriots offense is boring. It's not even just that it's bad right now. It is boring. And if you've ever heard me do a radio show before in this market, you have heard me talk about Josh McDaniels. Some days I think Josh McDaniels is the most brilliant play caller in the world. And other days I see what happened yesterday where it's run up the middle, no creativity. When I look at San Francisco, when I looked at the, when I examined the pummeling that they gave New England yesterday, Kyle Shanahan dominated that game. The play caller, head coach for the 49ers, he dominated that game. Speed, creativity, put their quarterback in a position to succeed. Play calling that emphasized that desire for success. Cam Newton was awful yesterday. He was awful on his own, but he wasn't put in a whole lot of position to get any help either. And that is the antithesis of what happened in San Francisco. It didn't matter. Jet motion, play action, wide receiver sweep. It looked like I'm watching the Arena League when I watch San Francisco play. The Patriots have guys with athleticism. They have guys that can do these things. I don't. They don't. I'm not sure they're going to do them as effective as San Francisco is going to do them. But they could do some of this. And instead, it was Cam just drops back, three step slant, four yard pass, complete or incomplete. Boom. Third and six. Handoff, I formation. Boom. Up the middle. Two yards, second and eight. That's what we saw out of New England. Oh, now we're in the shotgun? Okay. Zone read, not a whole lot of sizzle to it. Boom, four yards, third and six, punt. That That's what we saw yesterday. Jimmy Garoppolo had 20 completions yesterday for San Francisco. Eight of them were on passes behind the line of scrimmage. I talk about it looking like the Arena League. That's what it looked like. Jimmy Garoppolo throws it behind the line of scrimmage. Get out of my, get it out of my hands. Get it to somebody who can run a whole lot faster than me, and that's what we'll do. 103 of his 275 yards came on passes behind the line of scrimmage. Cam Newton can't complete a pass three yards behind him and let Jacoby Myers or Julian Edelman run. I mean, the the 49ers think that Jimmy Garoppolo is limited right now. They don't trust him either. But yet Kyle Shanahan found a way to get the ball out of his hands and into the hands of playmakers, and the Patriots can't do it. Patriots have a first-round draft pick last year in Nikhil Harry, who they literally cannot get the ball to. I don't understand it. The creativity is gross to me. The lack of creativity is gross to me right now out of Josh McDaniels. Some days, I think that he's Kyle Shanahan. Other days, I think that he's what we saw yesterday. So what are the ways around this what can new england do if they're not going to look like san francisco looks what could they do well i propose to doug that the patriots start going no huddle start playing up tempo start getting 
a flow for the game. They did it a couple of times yesterday and then went and then went away from it. Here's Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, talking about the idea I proposed to him about going no huddle. Be aggressive and the in the no huddle situation and not tempo stuff tires out a defensive line in a hurry. It's a lot more effort to rush a passer than it is to protect. And they get tired out two or three plays in a row. And if you get that first fair down, now your defensive ends on the other side are getting tired. They're subbing in and out. They don't have the first guy on the, you know, it just, it slows that defense down. If you get in the middle of a, a no huddle situation and you get halfway down the field, the pass rush disappears. You have to do this. You have to force the issue. The Patriots and Cam don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. They have to scheme plays. They have to scheme openings. And this are these are things that they can do. Go up tempo. If you're going to throw four yards at a time, boom, completion, second and six. Boom, completion, third and two. Now I'm in a position where I can do what I want. I can run the ball or I can throw another four-yard pass. If you're going to make it be death by a thousand cuts, at least tire out the defense. It, please, I am begging you, give yourself a chance. They don't have Julio Jones. They don't have DK Metcalf. They don't have Ezekiel Elliott. They have a bunch of Jags. Jag. J-A-G. Just a guy. They have a bunch of just a guys. Good players. Productive football players. You have to give them a chance to be successful. You watched the game last night in in Arizona, Sunday Night Football. Russell Wilson, he throws up a 50-50 ball. His guy goes and gets it. Kyler Murray throws up a 50-50 ball. DeAndre Hopkins comes down with it. The Patriots, they don't have that. They have Jags. Just a guy. Be creative. Get it in their hands. Get it out of Cam's hands quick and move up the field. Force the issue. Force the tempo. The Patriots are now in a no-lose situation. They are now the underdogs. People now think that they stink. So don't sit back on your heels and wait for somebody else to give it to you. You have to go and take it. Be fun. Be up-tempo. Utilize all of their running backs. They've got 100 of them. And they're all average to above average. So as you're tiring out the defensive line, as you're tiring out linebackers, give yourself a chance to utilize your players who are fresh. Going no huddle is something the Patriots should be doing. And the fact that they did it a little bit yesterday and then got away from it is completely vexing to me. It's just, it's completely vexing to me. Continuing on, Brady Farkas show here. WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We also talked, Flutie and I, about the value of proper mechanics. And Cam's mechanics look really, really bad right now. Here's what Flutie told me. Played quarterback in the NFL. Played quarterback for 25 years between BC, Canada, the NFL. Played until he was 45 years old. He knows something about proper mechanics. Here's what he sees out of Cam. I agree that he was – because of pass – see, the offensive line's a mess right now. And yeah. he's getting pressure. And when you start getting pressure and start getting hit, you start fading and drifting and throwing from that open position, which with the athletic – like we were just talking about Kyler Murray. You talk about Patrick Mahomes. Those guys make throws like that all the time. Cam needs to be in that proper position, I think, to throw the football right now. 
Cam indicates that he's healthy. He doesn't he doesn't think his shoulder is hurt. So if his shoulder's not hurt, then he's just being lazy with his mechanics. It's the one thing that I can hammer Cam on because he does everything right off the field for the Patriots. Says the right thing in the media. Says the right thing about his teammates. Proper leadership with his teammates. Takes guys in under his wing. The one thing he's been lazy on lately is his throwing mechanics. He's got to play to play crystal clear attention to what he's doing. He, again, he doesn't have the talent anymore right now. He doesn't have the arm to just go out and win it with athleticism. As you get older, hey, Cam's over 30 now. So when he was 22, he didn't have the head, but he had the, he had the athleticism. Now he's at the point where he should have the head because he doesn't have the athleticism. He's got to use that head, and he's got to pay crystal clear attention to his mechanics because his mechanics are failing him right now, and his mechanics are causing some of these errant throws. I mean, you really not think that Cam Newton can throw the ball seven yards? I mean, yesterday he tried to throw a 10-yard out, and he bounced it into the ground. That's not Cam is injured, he says, and it's not Cam all of a sudden forgot how to throw. It's Cam's overthinking. And Cam is not thinking enough about his mechanics. He's got so much doubt in his head right now that it's impacting everything else that he does. And that negative impact is sapping him of his ability to make basic throws. I believe in Cam Newton. He needs to believe in himself, though. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. So every single day after we do a daily dose of Doug Flutie, we're going to go with this one. This might be my my favorite segment that I've ever done. I've never done it anywhere before on radio. I'm doing it here. Social media can be a great place. It can also be the worst place in the world. You all know this, right? It can be a place that unifies or a place that defies. Well, on in sports in general, social media provides me some of the best entertainment I've ever had. The crazy things people say on social media leads us to this new segment, Crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for Crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills every single time I go on the internet, especially on Twitter. So here was my winner for the day. John Middlecoff, well-respected NFL draft analyst, podcaster at Fox Sports Radio. He sees Baker Mayfield of the Browns throw one interception yesterday. And Mayfield started out 0-5 with a pick. And he says, simple reality with Baker. Of the 32 starting quarterbacks, when it comes to just pure talent, he might be last. Of the 32 starting quarterbacks, when it comes to just pure talent, he might be last. Look, I don't think that Baker Mayfield has lived up to the number one pick in the draft slot yet. He's not gone to the playoffs, doesn't have a winning record. There are a lot of questions about Baker Mayfield as a leader, about his maturity, about his decision-making, both on and off the field. But what was questioned in the tweet by John Middlecoff was talent. And if you're going to say that he has the lowest talent level of any starting quarterback in the NFL, then that is wrong. And that is why it is the crazy Twitter take of the day. Look, 
he's ninth in the NFL in quarterback rating. He's middle of the road in all these hyper-analytic things. He ain't at the bottom. He ain't last in anything here. Okay, He's got more ten- – I'm not here to tell you he's the best. All I'm here to tell you is that he's not dead last, as John Middlecoff said. He went number one in the draft. You act like he played at the University of Maine or something. He went number one in the draft, and even if that was five slots too high or eight slots too high, he's still the number one pick in the draft. You have to have some talent to be a first-round quarterback. So if you're bagging on him because he's short, or if you're bagging on him because he played college ball in the Big 12, or if you're bagging on him because he throws some bad picks and he got a you know a police video in college, that's all that's all fair. That's all decision making though. That ain't just pure talent. The kid has talent. Look, he's got more talent than Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew started a bunch of games for the Jaguars the last couple of years. Undrafted Washington State, more talent than him. So right there, I have. Proven your point wrong. He does not have the least amount of talent. He has more talent than Nick Foles. I know Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, but since outside of a five-game arc in Philly, what has Nick Foles really done all that well? In Chicago right now, they're winning in spite of him, not because of him. They're winning because they have a great defense. They're winning because they have a creative play caller. They're winning because they have good skill players. They're not winning because of Nick Foles. Nick Foles is another Jag, just a guy. Just like Mitch Trubisky was just a guy. Still talent, Baker Mayfield has more. So to say that Baker Mayfield might have the least amount of talent of any starting quarterback is patently false. I'll go a step further. I think Baker Mayfield has more talent than Kirk Cousins. I think Baker Mayfield has more talent than Kyle Allen. If you're talking about quarterbacks who have already been benched, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Dwayne Haskins, I think he's better than them too talent-wise. I think he's more talented than Phillip Rivers at this point. He was more talented than Tyrod Taylor, who do, who got benched for Justin Herbert. So Baker Mayfield might be 22nd in talent. But you said, the tweet said, he might be last. And I have just showed you, as I point at my paper here in the studio, that he is not last. He, again, I'm not here to tell you he's the best. I'm here to tell you that he's not the worst. The Browns, they may move off him. They may decide they're better with somebody else, and they may be right. But that wasn't the question. The question was talent. The reason why I hate things like this, I usually hate rankings, and I usually hate those kind of discussions. It's all subjective, and it's all circumstance. Okay, Mayfield plays in a division with Baltimore and Pittsburgh, plays in a conference with New England and Kansas City. Last year, his division played the NFC West, which is the best division in football. So he had hard, you know, a harder schedule than some of these other people who have more quote talent and might look better. He's also had no stability in his career. Four head coaches now in three years, including the worst coach in NFL history in Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, the worst coach. Freddie Kitchens, a guy that people thought if he had been given a longer leash, might be even worse than Hugh Jackson. Greg Williams, who's a defensive coach, and now finally with a grown-up adult head coach, Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield's 5-2. and two. I know, he's not the best, but he's also not the worst. When he gets a competent head coach and a competent play caller, then good things have happened generally for Baker Mayfield and for the Browns this year. But he, there's very few Russell Wilson Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, very few guys who are elevators of everything around them. Everybody else, 
they need things to go just their way. The schedule needs to be right. The head coach needs to be right. The play caller needs to be right. The talent around you needs to be right. And I don't begrudge that. I don't begrudge the game manager who needs help. Baker Mayfield needs help. By the way, his completion percentage isn't very good. He's like 24th in completion percentage. He's ahead of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league last year. So let's not act like Baker Mayfield is the only one with problems. Lamar Jackson, MVP of the league last year, worst completion worst completion percentage than Baker Mayfield. Just saying. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Shout out to Clark in Plattsburgh who tweeted into the show. And again, you can find me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. He says, loud and clear here in Plattsburgh, New York, listening on FM 96.1. So appreciate Clark and everybody else who is listening, the first edition of the Brady Farkas Show. When we come back, our final segment, this one, if you've ever heard me before, this one's going to be familiar to you. What are people saying around sports? This is good. That's next. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big-time trouble. They really said that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. If you've listened to me before, then um, you know, you've heard me do this segment before. It's one of my favorite segments. I've always liked getting a pulse on what people are saying. Travis up in Milton, he tweets me, Baker Mayfield stinks. Hey, you can think he stinks. The, the tweet by John Middlecoff says he has the least amount of talent of any starting quarterback. So the question was not, is Baker Mayfield good? The question was, is Baker Mayfield the least talented quarterback of all 32 starters? And that answer is no. So look, maybe he's the 20th best quarterback, 22nd best quarterback, but he ain't last, which is exactly what the tweet said, which is why I put it in as part of the crazy Twitter take. So who's saying what is a segment that we really just kind of go around and – get an idea of what people are saying about multiple different subjects. So I want to hit this one first. World Series yesterday, Game 5. The situation is that the Dodgers are beating the Rays 3-2 to two in the game. The series is tied at 2. Rays in the fourth inning have runners at first and third, nobody out. They're unable to score. So now it's first and third, two outs. Manuel Margot, he's the runner on third. He tries to steal home against Clayton Kershaw and gets thrown out at the plate. Barely, but he gets thrown out. First time anyone's attempted to steal home in the World Series since 1982. Tim Kirchhoff of ESPN, he talked about it late last night on SportsCenter and said that that was the turning point of the game. No one's really tried a straight steal of home like that with no other conditions since 1982. And for Kershaw to recognize that this guy is going home and step off the rubber perfectly and make a pretty good throw to the plate just shows you a veteran pitcher who doesn't panic in a situation like that. That game turned when Kershaw got out of the fourth inning without allowing a run. The momentum might have turned at that moment, but I am one hundred percent okay with what Manuel Margot did and I'm shocked because I played college baseball I coached college baseball I usually play things by the book and I'd rather not make the third out on the bases especially at home doing something that no one's tried to do in in almost 40 years usually I would be against it I am 100 percent okay with it in this case listen why and listen why it was smart of Margot to try this Rays had first and third with nobody out. 
They weren't able to get hits, so Margot tried something different. These are the Rays. They do things different. They try things different. They invented the opener. They're they are taking bullpenning to the extreme. They find they just do things on a budget. They do things creatively. They do things different. If he was safe, and you know what, he was about eight inches away from being safe. If he was safe, the Rays would have been lauded as that's Rays baseball. That's Rays baseball. They just do things different. They're gritty. They take chances. They don't have to hit home runs like the Yankees do all the time. They do it differently, and we would have been celebrating that today eight inches different. I'm still celebrating it even though he was out. First and third, nobody out. You couldn't get hits. Strikeout, pop-up. You left me not a lot of choice there but to play to my image and try something different. Margot has also played against... Kershaw many times. Margot used to play for the Padres. He's seen Kershaw a ton of times. He knows his delivery better than anybody else in that lineup. Okay, He's had many great looks at him. He knows that Kershaw is incredibly deliberate with his high set position. He knows that Kershaw starts over his head and then brings down methodically to his and it brings the glove methodically down to his waist. It's a slow process. Margot knows this. He timed it out nearly perfectly, and he almost won with it. And I'm okay with you doing that because that is something that, trust me, he might have gone on his own, but they talked about that. They know that Kershaw's slow. They've studied that. They've watched it on film. And I'm okay with them trying because that is why you do those things. That is why you watch film. To try to pick up every little edge that you can. And they did it. And they were eight inches away from it being an unbelievably historic run score that could have elevated them to a Game 5 win and a World Series championship. Their first in history. I have to be okay with that. Kershaw also has his back to the runner at third. People are going to be screaming, telling him, step off, step off, step off. The chance of a balk is high, and then he needs to make a good throw and have a good tag to get the out. And as we saw in game four, where Will Smith couldn't catch the the throw from Max Muncy, that ain't always easy to do. So now you're telling me that Kershaw needs to not balk, then needs to deliver a good throw, Smith needs to catch it and put down a good tag, That's a lot to ask to happen there in split-second reaction. It ended up working, but Kershaw, as Kirkjian said, made a pretty good throw. If he's eight inches further to Smith's right, then Margot is safe, and we are celebrating it today. And maybe maybe I'm looking at Kershaw's postseason a little bit differently than I told you 20 minutes ago. And finally, Kevin Kiermaier was the hitter for the Rays in that situation. He's the number eight hitter. Hits 158 against lefties on the year. Three for 19. They don't even let him hit against lefties for the most part. So, in recap, Margot knows Kershaw, knows the delivery. Margot also, or the the Rays, couldn't get a hit on their own. First and third, nobody out. Kiermaier doesn't hit lefties well. And Kershaw has his back to the runner, and everything has to, to line up. It did. The Rays got burned, but and the momentum might have turned. It was still the smart move to do it, though. Let's get to another one here on who's saying what. Mike Tannenbaum, uh, ESPN Today, former Jets general manager, talking about the Patriots. I just feel like they need a couple of good things to happen 
they, it looks like they're lacking a lot of confidence, and they have a massive game this week. They're going up against Buffalo, who has a rare two-and-a-half game lead, and they do have an opportunity to still win the division, but this is a huge game. Make no mistake about it. It's a huge game, and I think it might be the biggest regular season game for the Patriots that I can remember. Last week, Rob Ninkovich said that this game yesterday was the biggest one, and I laughed at him. This one actually might be. This game could decide what happens for Cam's career, could certainly decide what happens for Cam's career in New England, how long that's going to last. It could truly end the Patriots' dynasty as far as at least winning the division. Their run of winning the division for, you know, more than a decade straight could be over at this. If they go to 2-5 and five and Buffalo goes to 6-2, and two, the Patriots aren't winning the division. Right now, the Patriots still have everything in front of them. Bills, two matchups, two matchups with the Jets, another matchup with the Dolphins, and a rookie in Tua Tagovailoa who Belichick never loses to. The Patriots can win the division. But if they don't win the, if they don't win on Sunday, the trade deadline is next Tuesday. You could see a fire sale. You could see Stephon Gilmore traded. You could see that offensive line broken up. You could see Devin McCourty dealt, Jason McCourty, anybody, Julian Edelman. The Patriots, as you know them, could get sold off for parts as the trade deadline approaches. If the Patriots don't win, that is what could ultimately happen at the trade deadline. And you could be talking about a Patriots rebuild. If they win in the thick of the thing, in the thick of things for the division. If they lose, your favorite Patriot might not be a fa- your favorite Patriot anymore because they might not be a Patriot. That is what's on the line. Cam's career is on the line now every time he steps on the field. His his status in New England is on the line every time he steps on the field. And the Patriots as you know them. And it's not dramatic. It's not facetious. Gilmore, Edelman, McCourty brothers, anybody who can be traded could be traded if they lose this game and fall to 2-5 and five, and their stranglehold on the division could be over. Last segment of every day on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM. Closing thoughts. We'll do it every day. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. That might be the most cliche song ever to put as the outro to the show, but hey, I'm doing it. I thought it was appropriate. It might be cliche. It might be corny. You can tweet me that it's cliche and corny. That's okay. I'll listen, but I like it. I like it here to set the end of the show. What I don't like is where I'm going to finish. I think less of Tom Brady today. I think less of Tom Brady than I did a week ago, and the reason why is because Tom Brady wanted Antonio Brown to come play with him in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady liked Antonio Brown in Foxborough. Tom Brady wanted him to be with him in Tampa. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said as much. The reality is, this is- Let's see here. The reality is, this is what Tom Brady wanted for any new team he signed with. He wanted to bring Gronk with him. He wanted to bring Antonio Brown with him. Took a little while to get Bruce Arians, the head coach, on board with this. I'm told the last couple days, the A came around and starting to embrace the thought of A.B. joining this already stacked offense. You know why Bruce Arians, Buccaneers head coach, didn't want Antonio Brown? Because Antonio Brown is a bad guy. 
Antonio Brown is a bad guy. He has rape and sexual assault allegations against him. If those are true, he should be in jail, not maybe winning a Super Bowl. And if they're not true, he's still got a repetitive history of being an awful guy that you can't count on. Jermaine Wiggins, earlier in this show, I asked him if he thought less of Tom Brady, and here's what he said. Mm, all right, let's see. We lost that one. But he said, I don't think differently of Tom Brady. He said, oh, yeah, okay. He said, I don't think less of Tom Brady. He said that whoever you can win with is who he's okay playing with. He said, as long as I can depend on you on the field, I'm okay with whatever. You can't depend on Antonio Brown. You can't depend on Antonio Brown for anything except to be a problem. He doesn't pay his bills. He doesn't treat the people who work with him well. He he. Stepped out on the Steelers before a playoff game, you know, or the chance to get to a playoff game and didn't play. He screwed the Raiders. He screwed the Patriots last year, who gave him what was supposed to be his last chance, his last and final chance. He he screws everybody everywhere that he goes. And oh, here's what Wiggins said earlier: Whatever player is going to help me win football games, those are the guys that hey, listen, I line up with. As long as I know what you are on the football field, I mean, guys got their own issues off the field. I. I you know, I don't need guys to be, you know, these these honor students or the, you know, these people that that you know have these lives where they do no wrong. Because I know that's you know that's not the norm. Everybody has some type of skeletons in their closet. It's all about can I count on you? Can I depend on you on the field? Well, you can't count on him. You can't depend on him. The only thing you can count on is that he's going to be a problem. And Tom Brady, I used to think he would try to win at all costs just by sheer work ethic. Now I know he's – I don't know how he can look. He's got a wife and a daughter, and he's, he's lobbying for a guy with rape and sexual assault allegations against him. Even if they're not true, he's a bad guy. I wouldn't want him. I'm disappointed in Brady. I've lost respect for Brady from where I was a week ago. All right, that's it. First show in the books, full podcast, WDEVradio.com or on Spotify. Thanks for hanging out. We'll do it every single day between 530 and 7. We'll be back at it tomorrow, everybody, right here on WDEV.